Everyone eats out every day, but people don't think about how food arrives on the plate. This is Grounded, and I'm Lauren Mitchell. Join me as we delve deep into the challenges, expertise, and experiences of professionals and innovators in the food service industry. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators. All right, listeners, I'm very excited to bring back Rob Bongi on, who's our Director of Grower Development here at the Buyer's Edge Fresh Division. Rob works very closely with our grower partners and more specifically in the tomato category. He speaks constantly with the farmers down in Mexico. He's got his pulse on what's been happening down in Guatemala, and I thought I would bring him on to just discuss a little bit about what caused it and how we're impacted up here in the States. Thanks, Rob, for jumping back on. Hey, Lauren, thanks for having me back. Yeah, there's been a lot of political unrest over the last 10 days down in Guatemala, and it's impacting their exporting to the United States and around the world, particularly on fresh and perishable items. You know, there's been, um, we've put out some alerts regarding green, you know, like French beans, haricot vera beans, baby peeled carrots with tops. It's also impacting the plantain and the the conventional banana markets. There are some organic bananas coming from there. And it's not that there's not a lack of supply. Just with all these protests and and the roadblock set, it causes logistical and harvesting nightmares for the farmers down there. They can't get their product to the port, put it on the vessel and get it here. So now you're talking, you're going to have, you know, possible shortages here in the United States, particularly on the East Coast for the next couple of weeks. And it's going to take at least two or three weeks because you have all that backlog and lag time with Mm -hmm. vessels coming to the United States. So we could see, you know, potential shortages if this thing's prolonged, go, go into, you know, weeks before Thanksgiving. So it's definitely interesting. We're keeping our, keeping an eye on it, feeling the pulse of what's going on. We're talking to our shippers every day and our growers down there to um, see when this thing will have some relief. All right. So you mentioned bananas, hercoveres, and baby peeled carrots, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Just some of the, those are the, like the core items that are really impacted. Plantains are, are really big. I mean, we, they do a lot of plantains down there. And, and so the uh, unrest has made it a challenge for ships to get out essentially. Yes. Um, you know, between the blockages on the roads, getting that product to the port on time, Vessels aren't sitting around waiting. They're heading out to sea and bringing product that's on there. I actually, over the last four days, I don't think they loaded anything in any of the ports down there because there's been so much protesting going on. So it's been, it's been challenging. Okay, Rob, thanks for that. And then what about blueberries? I'm hearing some noise about blueberries and it's definitely a common item for not only those in food service, but on the retail level as well. So I want to make sure we hit on that too. What can you tell us about blueberries? Yeah, as you know, I mean, a lot of the major growing regions we usually pull from this time of year have been infected by weather. Um, And then the domestic crop, you know, really ended abruptly. And that was a combination of weather events, rain and extreme heat. So, you know, we're still dealing with that. We haven't transitioned anywhere that we can really get any sort of significant volume. So you're seeing it affect not only the food service category, but the retail category. You're seeing record high prices 
uh, on the FOB side of the business and you're seeing record high retail prices, um, you know, and, and supply is going to be very short, probably until well into November, maybe the first of December till we see some sort of relief. I honestly don't think you'll see a major drop in pricing or any major increase in supply, not through until through the holidays. You know, you got to consider that as well when you're looking at something like this where there's an interruption in supply. We're coming into the holidays. You're going to see a lot of holiday time where, where farms are closed. They're not harvesting because people went home for Christmas or Thanksgiving. So you have to take that into consideration as well. So this thing could drag out well into December, maybe even new, right before New Year's, but it's definitely an issue. I consider blueberries more of a February fruit anyways. So I think we'll be good. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you very much for that update. And of course, if you heard something here, you want to hear more about, feel free to access our market report, which will be included in the show notes or reach out to Rob Bongi here personally on LinkedIn, and he can answer any questions that you have. Thanks again, Rob. Thank you, Lauren. Have a great day. Right. I'm excited to bring this conversation to the table where we go straight to the field level and learn more about the buying and selling for traditional row crop product. These commodities include romaine, iceberg, green leaf, broccoli, and cauliflower, just to start. There's many brands, as we know, in this part of the industry, many of which have been specifically in the Salinas Valley for over 100 years. Take your Church Brothers, Taylor Farms, DeRigo, to name a few. But today, our guest has over 20 years of experience in working with commodities for family-owned grower businesses. And over the course of his career, he has helped in connecting and developing customer relationships, educating customers through his famous in-the-field videos, and has a long-standing passion just for the produce industry. Previously, he's worked as the Senior Director of Food Service at Manpacking procurement specialist at Proact in sales for both Taylor Farms and Dole Vegetable. He's recognized and appreciated for his very fun and creative attitude, wearing an American flag business suit in the fields of Salinas Valley. I think you may know who I'm talking about today. Gabe Romero joins us. Thank you, Gabe. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to do one of these on the opposite side of things where I'm being interviewed versus doing the opposite side where you sit, you know, so it's fun. It's, it's very educating for sure. So for those that may not have caught a video, I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper right there. So you, you're in the produce business, yet you've kind of taken this informative education approach through video, actually going into the field to educate um, those on what we're seeing in the fields. And that's important when we're talking about produce and pricing and contract fluctuations to kind of get ground level. So where did that, you know, inspiration develop? Um, was it just based on a need you saw in the industry or perhaps a position that was handed to you? Kind of tell us a little bit more about that. So kind of the vision that I had was educating customers because emails and pictures only go so far. And I was scouring, you know, every single food service company from Cisco to US Food Service to Marcon to all the videos that were going out were more typical start of the mill where you use your iPhone. And I wanted to bring something to scale on an education field level purpose of the going into the field and having an opportunity to give the customer insight on what is happening currently. So that's what created the source live with Proact. 
So once I went with the field level in interviewing customers and understanding, you know, the shipper levels and what goes on with harvesting, it was just a better way to communicate with customers on the long term and also the short term on what's going on currently right now with the with crops and weather and everything else. Love it. I want to go through a little exercise just about a box of produce in general to start. So we'll have a lot of questions that do occur where you're at, which is kind of the shipper field level. But take a restaurant, they get a box of let's call it 24 count romaine into their cooler. Um, can you back up the process that just takes us all the way into the field? And what are the considerations that brings it all the way into the restaurant cooler? I mean, anything from FSQA to distribution or even planting, just based on your knowledge. Sure. On the planting side of things, obviously where we grow is very important in how you diversify the land and also the microclimates in the Salinas Valley, as well as Yuma. So where your plantings, particularly romaine, depends on over the course of years of many, many growers and many, many shippers, they understand where the needs are and where a product needs to go to. So for instance, there's transplants that, that happen quite a bit, depending on the need for a transplant, but for the most part, it's seed to harvest. Where we're putting the seed into the ground, where they're cultivating the ground and doing the right growing practices. So in order for that restaurant to get that box of romaine and they open up the box and boom, there's this green head and it's full and they can trim it down and do whatever application they're wanting to. But there is a such a long process before that even happens, before it gets to the restaurant level. Yeah, that's so interesting. So even just seed in the ground to when they can actually harvest, what is that time period? So it varies right over the course of the year. Um, it could be anywhere from 90 days to 120, depending on the season, right? As we get into winter and the fall crops, Right now, as we go, the, the seed could be in the ground for 120 days before harvest. So as you exit uh, the Salinas Valley and you enter in where we're in particular at Nunes, we have a, a bridge that we utilize and we still utilize Huron. Um, for us, it works well. Uh, we do a better job at one, introducing the ground in Huron to subside and finish in Salinas earlier so that way we're not dealing with as much of the issues that we have with INSV lately, um, which is we can go into that and into a different story. But at the same time, uh, it's typically 90 to 120 days to harvest. Not, yeah, 90 to 120 days. And just based on some of the elements that you're seeing, I, I, I hear they either harvest, they have to harvest sooner, which is where yield may be impacted just because of the sizing, right? Um, but Huron, so that's an interesting point I want to bring up because for those that you know, may not be familiar. Lettuce is, of course, grown in Salinas Valley, which is in California, Northern California, um, for, let's say, the March, uh, the months of April all the way through until beginning of November. And then typically it moves to Yuma, Arizona. And that's correct for Nunes Company, where you're at, right? correct? That's correct. So we utilize Salinas, Huron, as well as Yuma. And then on okay. the organic side of things, we utilize Urington, Nevada, as well. Okay, great. So three states. Um, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about just the cost input. So going back to our case of lettuce example, you know, people can get accustomed to paying X price for it and people being a restaurant owner that just wants to order it, you know, by the case, we're talking food service. Um, but what are some of the cost inputs that go into um, planting, shipping, and um, distributing that lettuce that could really fluctuate year over year and really what we've seen over the last two, three years. 
again, taking us more into the shipper ground level terms. Sure, of course. Uh, one big factor, obviously, is labor. Uh, mm -hmm. Labor costs and wages are really imperative here in California. Uh, they're a little bit more stable uh, in Arizona, so to speak. But the California minimum wage law has increased year over year for the past five years. And what that includes is, is a significant minimum wage increase so that it benefits the person that's working, right? It protects them. And then at the same time, within the produce industry, there's something called the prevailing wage. And the prevailing wage is something that is industry-wide on what we're paying our harvesters to make sure that they harvest the product. And they're also taken care of so they can, one, survive in the Salinas Valley, which is very, very cost costly uh, to live here at the same time. So as those go into effect, that's, that's probably pretty a significant amount. Um, and as over the course of many years, seed costs, water, uh, to uh, fertilizers, to anything of that nature, it's significant increases have happened even since COVID. Uh, and, you know, the inflation factor that goes nationwide has really taken effect on, on all aspects of it, of the supply chain. That includes cardboard. That includes, you know, plastics. Yeah. That includes anything of that nature that really, really adds up over the course of time. And I totally understand, you know, as, as a restaurant owner, and also as a big corporation, you know, you're looking to cut costs down so that you can be competitive in the marketplace when someone wants to come into your restaurant and have a salad or have that burger or have that meal that they're looking for. That's going to be price conscious to the consumer as well. So that goes into play as well. Yeah. So speaking from that perspective, you have someone who's price conscious, but also um, you know, they want to elevate the flavor that's on the plates and they want to be, you know, conscious of quality. You know, what do you think it takes to procure the best and um, and ensure, I mean, another thing is just ensuring supply, right? So from your perspective, if you're in that that hot seat of being the purchaser for fresh produce and specific lettuce is maybe your, your top item on the menu, you know, what does it really take to procure the best? I think what it takes, one, is a, a relationship that you have. With the grower shipper like us at Nunes, you know, we pride ourselves in covering contracts. So that's important to one, making sure your 365 day supplies in place. I think that's really, really important when it comes to the restaurant. So you're not out. And during these times of weather, of the INSV virus and things of that nature, it's, it's important for the grower shipper to take care of the customer that's been in day in and day out. Uh, I think that as far as the relationship wise and the confidence that you have, the value, the trust factor, that's super important when you're procuring product from any supplier. Yeah, that's 100%. So I don't know if you'll be able to answer this question, but something I've always wondered is about acts of God, right? So for those um, unfamiliar, you know, an act of God might be declared in the marketplace for lettuce with like, for an example, last fall winter with the INSV virus, and it was really devastating supply. Um, you know, just like any economic principle, supply is going down, demand stays up and prices uh, shoot up. What is it that goes on or is there some sort of standard benchmark or rule where all the, the growers kind of connect to declare it officially together? And what is the delta between those that can just declare it for themselves on their own soil? What is the process behind kind of what goes on to really declare what we can call like an act of God on a commodity? So on our side, it's something that's completely and 100% out of our control. 
for instance, what we just went through in January and March, which was the Salinas River flooding. That is completely out of our control as mm -hmm. far as that concern. Um, the INSV virus is something that came about soil related and, it, and it's out of our control. So I think as an industry, they utilize that word act of God. And it's the same thing I think that goes from shipper to shipper is something that's completely 100% out of, out of your control. Um, you know, from crop devastation to drought to anything that comes to play when it, and when it comes to weather factors, that that's something that's out of your hands as well. Mother Nature obviously controls it. And as you can see across the world right now, you know, you have different weather aspects that are coming. You have the hurricanes that are hitting differently. You have a lot, a lot of different type of weather patterns. So it's not consistent anymore. So year over year, it changes. I mean, the farmer's almanac, you got to throw that out because right now you're talking about anything goes for weather, you know, you see hurricanes coming across where they never hit before. They haven't hit in 82 years. So things of that nature, I think that's pretty much an act of God. As a grower, what would you say is the biggest obstacle you've seen in the market over the last few years? I think the biggest op obstacle, I think, for instance, is, is labor. Labor is extremely difficult. As you have the older labor that's been here for quite some time, they're used to packing. Well, that gets to a point where they're going to retire and their children have learned that's not what they want to do. They don't want to bend their backs all day long, eight hours a day, picking things. So it becomes extremely difficult, at least in the United States, to have that longevity or that succession plan of, of labor behind who's already here. Therefore, we utilize H2A. Uh, we have housing in Veranda where they put a few years back um, that develops a program that brings people across the border from, um, from Mexico, from different areas of Southern or South America so that it, they can come in and they can work here and we provide housing for them. We provide meals for them, you know, and that, that, that adds to cost as well. But I think that significant labor force has been dwindling year over year. And I think that's the major, major player as we move in future wise, I think innovation is really, really super important and automation. So when you're looking at the labor, you know, people that want to work and that in, in the field, I think, you know, in, the automation is pretty important, I think, from, from every supplier base. So it's, it's looking at that. Yeah. So you kind of hit on the next question, which is, do you see labor being the same obstacle for the next five years? Um, you know, would you answer it any differently in terms of what do you foresee to be our greatest challenge in the next two, five years, even speaking to automation and how that might impact things? Yeah, I would have to agree. Labor is pretty important. I think if you don't have the labor, you can't, you can't harvest any of your crops. You can't provide the customer 365 day service of that box of lettuce. And mm -hmm. as things move forward and as regulation gets tighter with anything else, I think obviously we're in the forefront of trying to make sure that our H2A program is viable and that it's, it's, it's super important to us to make sure that we have that labor so we can survive. Well, looking back from when you started your career, yeah, what do you believe to be the greatest improvement within just supply chain as, as a whole? As a whole, I feel the quality assurance and FSQA and everything that's related to keeping our food safe for consumers to have the trust that they're eating the salad or eating the vegetable that is healthy for them, that's not going to make them sick. You know, and, and there are going to be outbreaks. There are going to be situations where, you know, things are, are handled differently. And 
I think what happens is we don't really know to a certain degree how far that who's handling the product, right? I mean, it goes from our shed into the truck to the distributor, under the distributor's truck to the restaurant. Where are they putting it? Are they putting it in the right spot? Are they keeping the cold chain? I think there's a lot of things that happen. I mean, you know, you can't control every aspect of it and having food safety and things of that nature, I think is the forefront and which is a, an industry standard, you know, with us as well. Uh, we pride ourselves in making sure that, you know, you're testing the fields, you're making sure, you know, your percentages are the right as far as uh, pesticides are concerned. And, you know, having that quality assurance team that goes in and checks the product when it comes in and all of the harvesting uh, pre-op tests that go on, it's, it's viable to the, to the succession and the sustainability of a program. I'm so glad you said that. I, I ha absolutely agree. Um, FSQA is is by far what I believe to be the greatest improvement and and perhaps the most important. And especially with 204 in the next two years, everyone is certainly focused on it. So working on the client end on my side, that's that's been a very common overarching question in RFPs and RFQs is, uh, you know, talking toward temp logs and visibility and any any sort of tech technology and integration that can give them that again full full visibility and traceability to to what's coming in through their restaurants. Um, so I'm just so amazed and impressed about what is out there and offered to customers now to be assured that um, their items can be traced back to the fields. All right, let's talk innovation. How can growers lean into the trends to drive a decision of change when you're dealing with something like a field or acreage? And I, I imagine there's an element of testing there, but what are you guys, where is your pulse on in terms of understanding what may be needed or desired in the marketplace for, for a new item? Totally understood. For us, as far as the newness company, our staple is our head lettuce program and also all of our restaurant programs and our organic program. I think the innovation part of it that Nunes has succeeded in the organic side is super important. Our ground that we teamed up with in Nevada, in New York, Nevada is, is so viable to our operation as far as the insects are concerned and the way that we can grow ground because it's at a higher elevation, which helps us alleviate some of the insect issues that you have down here in Salinas Valley it's lower and that if the weather changes and there's there's insect pressure right so you can't use the pesticides that you need that you can typically utilize in a conventional side of things so Nunes has done a lot of innovation when it comes to seed varieties that they're utilizing that produce the biggest yields and at the same time they do the same thing on the conventional side here in the Swings, California uh, diversifying their ground and making sure that they have the right growers year over year making sure that we get together with them on a yearly basis, if not monthly, weekly. I mean, on top of that, we're always having meetings to make sure we ensure the, the yields are there and looking forward at what's coming up. I think our program is, is super important um, to one to the consumer because, you know, we care about that. We care about the person that's going to see the Foxy label on any from our head lettuce to our celery to any program that we're utilizing is super important. It's, it's our name. It's that what we're putting out there. So we want to make sure that it's health, it's food safe, and that we continue the innovation to develop the yields that are there so that the consumer has a great product. So the Nudis company has been around for several years, I imagine, in Salinas. And then now we've got this Foxy brand that's adjacent to it. Can you tell me just a little bit more about Nunes and how it got started and then where Foxy came into play? Sure. So it started in the 1930s 
with the Nunez family growing in the Salinas Valley. And the Foxy brand didn't start until 1976, where basically we started the Foxy brand. So that's what you see on the box. That's what you see that's cultivated the quality, the family essence, um, the importance that they have with the innovation and the stewardship of the land. Really, really, that's where it starts, right? It goes to the cultivation and the growing practices and making sure that we're doing the right things for the ground so that there's a succession plan year over year so you can come back and harvest and have product for the nation and for the world. Yeah, I think you answered my next question. The values that Foxy's grounded in, it sounds like just environmental stewardship, but maybe there's another one that might come to mind as well. Yeah, I think, you know, our word stands alone. I think, you know, what we, what we say to a customer and what we provide the service level and the relationships that we go through. I'm sure there's going to be hard times. There's going to be here and there where products going to get extremely difficult and tight. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, the Nunes company really develops and prides themselves on customer relationships, delivering quality product 365 days a year, and then having fun, you know, really having fun with the industry. Because if you're not passionate about it from the ground up, from ground to the harvesting, to the cultivation, to shipping facilities, to the sales staff, I mean, that's, that's where it's important, right? And I think that can be felt through the phone and through the meetings that we have from all these shows that we go to, you know, you provide that value to a customer and, and that's why they keep coming back. Okay. Now, what about your specific position with the company right now? Who are those that you're normally in contact with and for what purpose? I believe you're in sales and business development, but tell me more about what you're specifically doing. Yeah. So for the most part, it's sales. It's developing the relationships that I've had over the course of many years, you know, on the buying side, uh, as well as the, the supplier side, right? Working for Dole, working for Taylor, um, working for ProAct and understanding both sides. Uh, mm -hmm. I add a little bit more value because I can understand the distributor side of things and where they're coming from and the competitiveness and the pressure that they have. So for right now, my, my opportunity with them is to give them an element that they haven't had before, knowing the buying side of things, and being with ProAct and also starting my, my career at Cisco, uh, that's where I first came out of college and I was a buyer for them for five years. So I think knowing both sides of the things gives them an extra edge when it comes to one, the RFP season that you're talking about and develop your relationships with customers on a different level that they haven't had before when it comes to the food service side of things, you know, and the programs that you deal with on the national accounts and understanding what their needs are. And bringing that to the table as well as bringing the fun factor. I mean, if you don't have fun in this industry, like it's going to kill you. It's going to drive you crazy. So, you know, there's always those fights that you have on the phone that you want to come back to. And then in the next minute, you're calling them back up and you're kissing and hugging again. So there's <laughs> these opportunities, right? And also, you know, just to add an element of fun, I threw in, you know, back when I started the field reports for Manpack and just an element of surprise and something that's catchy to the eye. And then, you know what, you listen to the, the value that you're bringing as far as the interpretation of the field report or anything of that nature. It's, it's so good to talk to customers. It's so good to get down to their level and understand their needs. And then on top of that, you know, we're all human. We have different lives outside this produce thing. So it's connecting with them on that level, about their families, about what they did over the, the weekend, mm -hmm. anything of that nature. And, you know, having fun and bringing culture to a, a sales office. I think, you know, Mark and Johnny brought me aboard. They, they, I've known them for a long, long time. And just creating that element within the sales staff and in the office. And also that, that doesn't include, you know, oh, sorry, that also includes, 
you know, the accounting side of people and what you can bring to the shipping and also just understanding from the person that's cleaning here to the one that's loading your trucks at the load. I just really understand their story and why it's important for them to have them because we didn't have them. We wouldn't be able to load the trucks or do the things that we do on the accounting side, same thing. Right. And then it goes down like even transportation, like dealing with the truckers, they're a viable source and we need them so badly. And just to understand that they're, they're a human too. They're traveling across thousands of miles in a truck, driving down the road and just going all over these highways and just, you know, and they're really important and they're viable for our sustainability in the long term as well. Yeah, self-advocacy is very important in today's work environment. And I've heard that that's a very special trait that you carry is making everyone feel impactful for the job that they're doing. So I love that. I love that you touched on everyone from the driver to the to the to the teams inside the office and just really igniting that culture as well, because we are people. So, um, OK, introspection question. I take me back to mini gay back at California State. University in Fresno, you got your Bachelor of Arts in Agricultural Business and Management, I believe. Mm-hmm. Tell me something that you learned in college back then, or even just throughout your social life and, and high school, college period, that's strangely relevant to what you're doing today. Work ethic. Uh, at Fresno State, I walked onto the football team, had, was the littlest guy on the team, I weighed 155 pounds. I walked into the football office. I said I wanted to play football and they asked me what position I played. And I said, defensive back. And I walked into Rod Perry, his office. And he was a former Los Angeles Rams, played in the Super Bowl with Vince Ferragamo. And so I walk in, I sat down and I said, coach, I want to play football. And from there on out, they gave me the opportunity. I didn't even have to try out. They just gave me a uniform and a locker. And so I, I really had to learn and drive and work extremely hard. Education came fairly easy to me. So it wasn't that difficult to balance the athletic and the academic side of things. And at the same time, I learned resilience uh, to never give up, to always see the good side in people because, you know, you never know what anybody else is going through at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's very, you know, important to me to connect with each person that I deal with. And then I learned a lot of that through the coaches that I had. And then I earned a full scholarship after two years of playing there just by, you know, working extremely hard. Didn't matter. I, I couldn't gain any weight. I worked out like crazy, lifted weights, um, did the things that I needed to do. And then, you know, that work ethic and that essence basically brought probably one of the most changing times in my life is when I, when head coach Jim Sweeney brought me into his office and said, you know, son, you've been, we see you're been working hard. You've been doing all these things. We're going to offer you a full ride scholarship. And it floored me because I never expected that. You know, I wow. was, I had to work in the summertime to make my money for college and do all that kind of stuff. So self-resilience is something that I think is one of the core values and standards that I have in my life that I, that I've delivered, you know, over the course of my career. You got to be resilient to be in the produce industry. (laughs) Tackle challenges. I love it. Taking chances, work ethic, you know, it's good stuff there. All right. So before we close out, I I always finish with someone I call rapid fire questions, just kind of off your head. First, first answer that comes to mind. What is a daily habit that keeps you grounded? Meditation. 
Love it. What tool or strategy in your workday saves you the most time right now? It's called NET, no extra time. So what I utilize is if I am walking or if I'm working out, I will always make sure if I have a phone call or if I'm doing something else, it's not necessarily a multitask where you can't focus on things. It's really, really utilizing your time for things that need to be done because we can all be overwhelmed with the amount of work that you have and the emails build up and all the pressure. Mm -hmm. But when you realize that you really do have time in the day that you might you might not have that you think that you don't have that you really do by really, really diving into the NET time, the no extra time. The next generation of supply chain or procurement professionals, what is your best secret that you're willing to share? Mm, secrets. I don't know. I got to keep them to the hat. You know, that's, that's your brand, right? <laughs> that's your value that you bring to the company. You know, I think advice for the, the next generation is to utilize relationships Email only goes so far. Pick up the phone and talk to somebody because people want to be heard. They want to be talked to. It's just not the produce industry. They might want to have, they're might having a bad day. They might need that, that phone call. I think for the most part is understanding that get outside yourself, get outside your comfort zone and really, really try to push yourself beyond that. How about any mentors in the business? Who's been a mentor for you and in what way? Wow. Mentors, I've had several uh, in each stage of my career. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from Cindy Nunes when I was working for Dole, who drove me as a young individual to make sure that I was calling customers and doing that work ethic. And then working for Bruce Taylor and Alec Leach and Tom Bryan, and that Taylor group is amazing and understanding how they developed and worked hard from ground up. I mean, Bruce developed a whole food service company out of just taking the risk and going for it and really, really never giving up and driving. And then when you get to ProAx, you had the likes of Max Yader and Joe Semino and Mike Gorsica and just a, a, a plethora of distributors that have so many great individuals that you learn from owners of the company and anything of that nature. So I try to soak up everything from everywhere. Um, being at Manpacking, which was owned by Del Monte at the time and understanding from the chairman of the board to MA, the current president, to the, the other presidents that they had and just listening to what they're going through and their advice and how they handle business. Every single piece of my career, I've, I've made sure to really, really understand from, you know, top up all the way down to the bottom, how things are working, how things go and how to develop those relationships that really need and how they get through difficult times when it becomes a disaster, when it becomes extremely difficult for you to do your job, how do you get through that and how to manage yourself emotionally strength, you know, the emotional strength is super important, right? Because a lot of us can lose our shit at times. Sorry, I cuss, but I mean, this industry will drive you crazy. So there's moments of time, you know, you're going to have that in earlier in your career and, and you learn from those things. So, you know, mentors are extremely important. And I think I've gained, you know, a lot of my success and a lot of my value that I bring to the table by emulating a lot of pieces of, of different people. Yeah. You're a bag of Skittles. You can get <laughs> right. Endless <laughs> supply of goodies. Yeah. I love it. Um, okay. 
So I imagine after hearing this conversation, people may have a question or want to just get to know you a little further, reach out, introduce themselves and, and maybe talk produce. Where can people find you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm on there as well. Uh, at the Nunes Company, you can call here anytime, 831-751-7500 and reach out to me that way. Uh, email is on my LinkedIn as well. Uh, it should be. If not, it's, it's gromero at foxyproduce.com. So anytime, like call me anywhere. I'll, I'll, I'd, I'd love to talk, love to talk produce, love to talk shop, as well as understand you as a person as well. Awesome. Gabe, you truly lived up to the reputation you have. You are fun. You are kind, um, very engaging. And I so appreciate the time with you today. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity. Great. Awesome. Well, this has been another exciting episode of Grounded. See you next time. And that wraps up another episode. We have covered a lot of ground today. Thank you for joining. For show notes and our most updated market report, visit us at groundedthepod.com. Grounded is powered by the Buyer's Edge Produce Division. Our mission is to provide innovative solutions and excellent service to food service operators by leveraging technology, talent, and an insatiable appetite to improve. <laughs>